Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Essential Church Podcast. Now, I know normally you are hearing the very sultry voice of Pastor Andrew Arndt, but I'm going to host it today because our guest is Pastor Andrew Arndt, who we all think wrote a very compelling uh, article that appeared in several magazines, including Missio Alliance. That, and the title of it is 10 Hopes and Prayers for the Next 10 Years. Yeah. That's an ambitious article to write. <laughs> I actually thought it was kind of modest when I was writing it. I was thinking about, you know, as we closed out a decade and started a new decade, it just got me thinking about where I was at 10 years ago. Yeah. So 10 years ago, I'm 28 years old. We had just moved to Denver. We took over a small church in Denver. And uh, y'all remember being 28. When you're 28, you think you know something. <laughs> and I thought I knew a lot. And if you ask me what shape will the church take, in the next 10 years, I had really clear answers to that prophetic question. Mandate. Yeah, it was a prophetic <laughs> mandate for sure. And I started thinking, man, like if you ask me now, where is the church going to be in 10 years? I don't have a darn clue about that. I just think that the wind of the spirit always blows in really surprising ways. But I do have hopes mm -hmm. and wishes and things that I pray for for the church. And so I just started scratching out some ideas on that. So these and it got a little ten, traction. These so, are not 10 sobering predictions. No. <laughs> these are mm -hmm. 10 hopeful ideas that you that you would love to see happen. Yeah. And so some of it yeah. may have sound idle, uh, but you felt like this is a, a, a bit yeah. of a prophetic article. Yeah. Uh, maybe a prayer. Maybe your prayers in print if, is kind yeah. of the way it turned yeah, out. Yeah, that's really what it is. Yeah, prayers in print for sure. Okay, so if you're listening, and uh, get out a piece of paper and write these down, because yeah. this, this might be a podcast that might help shape some prayers of your own for yeah. the church. It might help uh, articulate some yeah. very things that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to yeah. you as leaders of the church. All right, so we're going to talk through the first five in episode one. This is going to be a two-part uh, podcast. You'll hear part two next week. So here's part one, and let's dive into these. Yeah. The, the one thing you said was become more spiritual. Yeah, I'd love to see the church become more spiritual. I think when I pray for the church in North America, one of the things that I see is there's a, there's a vacancy of mystery in the church. I think that so much of the way that we talk about church and practice church, uh, we reduce it to five easy steps to or to church growth formulas or whatever. And I just, I don't know that that satisfies the deepest thirst of the human soul. And uh, one of the axioms in the church I always come back to is Augustine's thought mm -hmm. that um, you awaken us, O God, to delight in your praise, and our souls are restless until they rest in you. And I think that the church is that institution that stands on the boundary between the mystical and the material, between heaven and earth. And I think that we need to recover that. I think that when people walk into our building, when they walk into our spaces, what they're wanting is not, I think, I, uh, what they're wanting is not five easy, five easy steps to this or four, you know, clear principles of that. I think they want to touch the transcendent. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, I think I think they want to know that the veil between heaven and earth is thin, and that they can. There's that there's that satisfaction of soul that comes from that. So I, I often think about you know going to a hospital if you went to the emergency room and you said I need help, you know, I've got a broken bone or whatever. And they are you sort of trying to act like it's not a hospital and say, but have you tried our lattes? Right. You know, like we offer some really great coffee. Right. And now we we love hospitals that have coffee shops, and we as a church have coffee shops. Yes. But you didn't go there for the coffee; you went there for the help that you needed, and you couldn't get anywhere else. And what you're saying is the church needs to not be ashamed of the one thing it can offer that no one no one else in the world can. Yeah, that's exactly right. I was really impressed, Glenn. You led our ministry staff a couple of years ago through a great little book by James Smith. Mm on how not to be secular. He was summarizing the work of Charles Taylor. Uh, but one of the things that he said is that uh, even while yeah. people are no longer affiliating as much with organized religion, 
there still is a thirst for the spiritual. So that's why you see this resurgence of new age spirituality. It's why, honestly, people will still go to chapels. It's like they'll sit in quiet chapels yeah. in urban centers. They're, they're thirsting for it. Yeah. Well, in the church, like this is our stock in trade. This is what like this yeah. is what we do, but we've like lost that awareness. So everything is so programmed that mystery is lost. And, mm -hmm. and that bugs me. And I think that we're missing something. Yeah, Eugene Peterson says that everyone has an appetite for the holy, but very few people are committed to holiness. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, But there's a, there's a desire, a thirst. They just need guides. They yep. need shepherds. Mm -hmm. They need someone to show them how to obtain and attain the holiness that they're longing for. But yeah. certainly they want, to, they want to be around holy things. They want to be around holy environments. Yes. Uh, but they need guides, and yes. they need pastors to show them how to get to holiness. And yes. That really is the, the wonder of the church, which leads us to number two. And I think yeah. one and two really, really are, hand are beautifully hand. the way you captured this. But number two was to recapture wonder. Yeah, I think that we're not surprised enough in church anymore. And I want to be surprised more often in church. I, I, I We've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but um, we all in different ways hail from the charismatic tradition. Mm -hmm. And I've often, you know, I remember uh, leaving ORU and I went to uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, great seminary up in Chicago. Uh, a lot of folks there didn't have any exposure to the charismatic tradition. And uh, I, so I also often found myself kind of at pains to try to explain where I came from and what our basic conviction was. And I would often say to people, this is what we believe. The Holy Spirit is right here and right now. And that means anything can happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to recover that in our churches. And I pray for that for the church. I often think about this quote, the late Robert W. Jensen, he said, that the basic difference between a living God and a dead God is that a living God can still surprise you. And uh, in the scriptures, one of the things that you see is that people are always being amazed at the activity of Jesus. They're overcome with wonder. They run to greet him. There was something, it came from somewhere else, mm -hmm. you know? So I want to see us recapture more wonder. I don't, I don't love it when churches re reduce to a formula. I don't love it when we reduce faith to a formula. I want to see us I don't know, just throw the door open to the Spirit. I want our services to be places where God can show up in ways that we did not expect Him to show right. up. And people need that, yeah. you know? Let's think about how the church was birthed. Uh, they're, in a, they're in an upper room going through a prayer meeting, and we don't know exactly how they were praying or what volume they were praying yeah. or if they were even following some kind of formula. But suddenly a rushing mighty wind comes into the room, mm -hmm. cloven tongues of fire. They begin to speak in other languages. And Jesus didn't tell them that any of that would happen. No, right. It's not like, okay, we're going to stay here till the wind and the fire and the tongues come. Right. Yeah. That all surprised them. Right. So the, actually the church was birthed out of surprises. Yes, the yes. The very first gathering of the church was full of surprises. Yes. How did, we, how did we lose that along the way? Yeah. Andrew, tell me, growing up as a boy in church, you yeah. know, we, we all grew up in church. What do you remember that was a sign of wonder? Like, t take us back to little boy Andrew being captured by wonder. Mm. What did it look like in the church that you grew up in as a little boy? Boy, I remember, I remember people getting up and giving prophetic words mm -hmm. and feeling even as a five-year-old or a six-year-old that that word was for me in some way, mm -hmm. that this wasn't, somebody wasn't sitting in a back room putting this together, but God showed up and God started speaking to me. I remember my pastor when I was a kid, I remember those moments when the sermon seemed to transcend human planning. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden there was a connection with human hearts. I remember that. I remember I remember being in prayer meetings, you know? I mean, there was the services that you have, Sunday but then, night. you know, you're charismatic, so you're gathering every day of yeah. the week. If you're yeah. not doing church, you're doing prayer meetings somewhere. Yeah. Now, I remember Sunday night gathering at one of the homes of our elders, and my parents were so funny. They wouldn't let me go outside and play with all the other kids. You know, right. they wanted me to be in that in the space, presence. in that prophetic space. Yeah, and I... 
I just remember the spirit moving in such a profound way. You didn't know which way the wind was going to blow. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden you're in tears and somebody else is in tears and it's just things are happening. So I, that to me is a mark of the spirit's presence in our midst mm -hmm. is that it goes beyond human planning. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that goes beyond because sometimes people will hear this and to think we shouldn't plan no. sure. or that wonder or yeah. even be, being spiritual, your first two points have to do with being spontaneous. But what yeah. I hear from you is it's, it's not that there needs to be something spontaneous, but yeah. that there needs to be a surplus. That's right. There needs to be more going on here than could have been the result of only human effort or human mm -hmm. design. That's exactly right. That's an excess of the charismatic movement, if you ask me, is that yeah. we throw, we we fall in love with these moments of wonder and spontaneity, and so we throw planning out the window. But I think actually good planning creates the structure whereby we really can leap with yeah. the Spirit. Yeah. When the Spirit says go, we can go. So and I don't think it's it, to the exclusion of planning at within all. Within it, within the song set, within the sermon, something more is going on yes. that was more than the words or the, more than the music could do. Yes. When I tell yes. people that our services are not unplanned, but they are unscripted. That's right. So we we do have a plan. We have a framework. We yeah. have liturgy we're working through that we have seen as time-tested. You know, yeah. we know that songs, prayers, the table, sermons, we know yeah. that those are going to be planned, yeah. but the unscripted moments is yeah. what brings the, the whole thing to life. Right? Yeah. The thing that we are driving home and said, you know, we didn't see that coming, the, mm. the yes. part that... That it did surprise us. I love yes. that part. I love that uh, the first two were become more spiritual. Number two, yeah, recapture wonder. Can I just and, say one more thing yeah. here? I mean, one of the things I think also is that it structure can and should have wonder in it. Mm -hmm. So, like our way, even when we do take the liturgical turn, if we have our way of holding the creed yeah. ought to be full of wonder. Yes. Our way of holding the Lord's Prayer ought to be full of wonder. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I lead communion, one of the moments that I'll try to lead when I lead communion is the moment of adoration. Mm -hmm. So we're holding the bread and the cup in our hands. Can we hear and now recognize yes. 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 that the most profound mystery is taking place right in front of us, that Christ the Lord is somehow coming inside this moment and meeting us with his presence. So I don't think that these things are sitting, I don't think that they sit against each other. Yeah. I think that they're actually, they co-inhere with one another. Right. Which is why your, your naming of the Holy Spirit in both of these first two points, yeah. I think, is an explicit, that, that's, the, that's the whole thing that's been missing, is we sort of act like our theology or our church services function with God yeah. the Father and Jesus the mediator and full stop. You know? Right. But to, to acknowledge a robust kind of theology of the Spirit is to say there's something dynamic at yeah. work here. Yes, agreed. So number one is become more spiritual. Number yeah. two, recapture the wonder that we've seemed to have lost. Yes. And I love how you've, uh, in, in the article that you wrote, it says, and in order to experience this, I have a feeling <laughs> that we're going to have to, <laughs> we're gonna, three. We're going to have to slow down. Slow we're going to have to slow down. And one of the things I write in the article is that uh, I want the church in North America to swear off the haste that has become so characteristic of its life. Mm -hmm. I think that some of this is just a product of historical circumstance where we are. Um, there's a sense of urgency that that we have. I think that we've lost our historical scope. And one of the things that we need to remember, I love that, Daniel, you say this a lot, that even when you look at the book of Acts, you know, like we read this book and it looks like this blow by blow, everything is happening all the time. But actually we're talking about a book that was written over several decades. Mm -hmm. And so there were lots of long, unhurried, leisurely moments mm -hmm. that took place inside those profound moments. And 25 years, five different cities, uh, multiple groups of people. So yes. I tell people that if you just pay attention to the church for 25 years, yes. we, we will experience the yes. Book of Acts over and over again. Yes, but it's a 25-year journey, not a 25-day journey. That's which most people want it to be. You know, I had a I had a friend years ago who got to sit in uh, on a conversation with some church leaders at the Vatican years ago, and he said, you know, the thing that like really got me 
was that when they were talking about decisions that they were trying to make in the Catholic Church, he said they were making decisions that their frame of reference was, well, if we do this, this will have an impact on the global church in the next 125 to 150 years. Yeah. <laughs> and he said it just was such a rebuke to me because in the United States, everything that we do, ministry planning, I mean, it's like, what can we do that will have an immediate impact this week right. or this month or the longest we can think is five years? But the church serves a God that took a long time to do things. Mm -hmm. And we constantly read in scripture that when the fullness of time had come, mm -hmm. God did such and such, God is not in a hurry. So I don't know that we need to be in a hurry either. And haste to me is the enemy of wonder. The way it's you the get made is by waiting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like this is God's play. Yes. God, hey, Abram, I got something for you. Just wait till you're 100. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so and so, just patience, slow. God makes us through yes. uh, the cauldron of slowing down, yeah. burning away the stuff. And that doesn't mean that we don't work hard. We're hard workers around here. We get after it. But all of us in different ways have structured our schedules and our time so that there are spaces, there are spaces for wonder and for slowing mm -hmm. down. I, mm -hmm. I think about even when I'm sermon planning, sometimes the most effective thing that I can do is just leave it alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go for a half an hour yeah. walk and just go take some deep breaths and try to take in the landscape again. Well, and just remember remember on, the story. Yeah, yeah. I do, to push back on my Catholic brothers and sisters, I do think that there is... <laughs> they, a, could, they could hurry up a little bit. They probably yeah. should write a new song. They haven't written a new song in 500 years. So, so, so the, there is a balance. There's, a There's totally a balance. I like the... There is a um, uh, an outburst of the yes. spirit that yes. does happen. Yes. Where Announce. changes can happen yeah. suddenly and dramatically and powerfully. So not everything has to be a slow, plotting move forward yes there there are there is the miraculous yes. where things can change overnight yeah and we, they should there's no doubt uh revolutions have happened overnight yes uh, interventions have happened overnight so yes i think what we're saying is there is a balance knowing when to slow down and yeah. when to embrace the miraculous is the is the rhythm we will all want to live in it's like embracing what the spirit is doing and sometimes mm -hmm. the movement is slow and sometimes it's fast but let's just stay up with it i mean even the you know book of acts that you talked about i mean the, the pentecost happens after their it's interruption. Just, yeah, it's yeah. an interruption after they're sitting up in the upper room for a long time. So I think with the Spirit, it's not either or. The, the One thing is not the mark of the Spirit or the other, yeah. but it's just whatever the Holy Spirit Slowly is doing, suddenly, we want to do that. The, the haste you're talking about, Andrew, I think is it's the kind of stuff that tempts us to take matters into our own hands. Yeah, it's exactly. Ishmael's of our own mm -hmm. creation, you know. And it reminds me of the quote, Brady, from Addicted to Busy, where you said you can't think of a mistake that didn't happen because you were trying to move too fast on yeah. stuff, you know? Yep. Most yeah. of our worst mistakes. Yeah, also hurriedness the, is an illness of the spirit. Yeah, it, it is. It really is illness. The it cultural is. pressure, I remember talking with a dad recently who was telling me how he was having trouble connecting with his son, and he was there was breakdown and all this, and I said, well, tell me about your rhythms. And you find out they're going to practices six, night yeah. a week, six nights a week, and they haven't had a family dinner around the table in a month. And, yeah. and you go, well, well, maybe there's something there that yeah. you need to pay attention to. Yes. Maybe what we're calling you to do is to eschew the cultural stream that's going in one direction yes. and and say no and go in the opposite direction. Yes, so 100%. The, the problem with slowing down is that most people uh, know if they slow down, they're, they're going to have to confront real issues in exactly. their heart. And hurriedness and busyness gives them a cover. Yeah, sure. it, it's a, it's medicating a, the pain that they don't want to deal with by yes. slowing down. And yeah. so what you're saying about slowing down is actually the, the only time we, you cannot heal on the run. No, you can't. You cannot get whole on the run. Yeah. You have to slow down to get healed. Yeah. So I, I love that. Yeah. 
Someone, yeah. someone should write a book about that. Mm. All right, number four. <laughs> so, number four is uh, fantastic. And yeah. Something that all of us as leaders uh, probably are not good at because yeah. we're accustomed to talking and moving and and casting vision, but number four is you wish we would listen better. Yeah, I wish we would listen better. I think that when we're moving too fast, we don't listen well. And when we don't listen well, we don't engage deeply in relationship, and I think that we miss too much. So I quoted in the article, I quoted James one nineteen through 20. It was one of the first verses I ever learned, but everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And I, what I love about that verse is the correlation between listening, speaking, and anger. So the more we listen, the less we will speak and the less we will get angry. By contrast, the more, the quicker we are to speak, the less we're going to be listen, listening and the more angry we're going to become. Yeah. And let's be honest, like we are living in a time that feels, I'm 38, you know, Glenn's in your 40s, Brady, your 50s, so we don't, but it feels angry to me. It feels like cable television, television infotainment, social media, like the volume level is so high right now. And so many people in secular culture and in the church, they're just talking past each other. And that to me, that's a symptom of the haste that's in our hearts, that we just feel like we have to get things solved today, right now. So there's no space really to enter into a depth of understanding with the other person. So I, I just, as a corollary of the church slowing down, I think that that will enable us to listen, listen. better, and that's going to change our ethos. I think it'll be become a more prophetic ethos for yeah. the world. And we're listening to find differences with people instead of yes. understand people. Yes. Like, I'm listening to find out if you're in my tribe or not, instead of listening to hear your viewpoint. Yes. So conservatives and liberals, when was the last time you sat down with someone who voted radically different than you, and you weren't listening to find problems with their stance, you know, or, or to yes. find an angry uh, opposition? You were listening to understand right. them you were trying to you were trying to yeah. empathize with how did they arrive at this place in their life yes so that they made the decisions they're making maybe if we just started listening to understand people uh, some of the vitriol and the anger could sl it doesn't mean that I'm changing my convictions well, and it doesn't mean I'm compromising right. my convictions well one of the things that happens when you slow down to try to understand is that you see that a lot of the motivations even if the outcome like the decisions that people make or the the final convictions that they have are different than yours a lot of the motivations are the same and so then you've got yeah. more common ground. And as soon as you start expanding the base of common ground with people, now you're creating more space for healthy relationship and productive dialogue to, so, to increase. Part of listening better, you know, as you're saying, Brady, getting to that level of the heart where you're able to ask, so tell me why you care about this. Yeah. Rather than we, when you stay on the surface level, it becomes about the issue. But when it goes to a deeper place of tell me why you care, tell me why this is important to you, now we're getting to the place of intimacy. Now yeah. it, it's really not about resolving an issue, but it becomes yes. about the, the two of us getting to see and know each other as human beings. Yes. It's when the angel meets Hagar in the wilderness, he says, where have you come from uh, and where are you going? I love that. And this is how God interrupts us. He mm. asks us to recount our origin story mm. and he redirects our destinations. And I think if, if part of listening better is to listen closely to people's origins and listen carefully for where they their trajectories, where they think they're headed. Yes. And yeah. I think one of the most powerful things to say is tell me your story. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell me your story. Just let me tell me about your life and just stop and be quiet and listen. Yep. Yeah. I try to come to every meeting that I have with multiple questions yes. for the person. Yes. And and I just had a lunch where a guy was coming to ask me questions. I'm Pastor Daniel. Yeah. And he wants to sort of ask me for my advice on something. And at the end of it, I turned and I asked him two questions and he was shocked. Yeah. So I think what if we all came to every meeting ready to learn something from the other person? Well, yes. 
Well, and especially in the church, we should be able to do this. We believe that every human being is made in the image of God. Yep. So that means that we're encountering, even if this person votes differently from you, comes from a different side of the street than you, different convictions, you're staring at a sacred mystery. You got something when to you're, teach me. Yes, you have something to teach me. The late uh, Jewish philosopher Martin Buber talked to, talked about how the, really the seminal moral encounter with another person is when we see them not as an it, but as a thou, yeah. that, that, that essential holiness with people. And it's simple things, like it's relearning the habit of tell me more about, yeah. you know, or tell me your story. It's letting people disclose, unpack, where have you come from and where are you going? What is that about? If we can't do this in the church, then there's no hope for public life. I mean, no. we believe that in Christ Jesus, our differences have been gathered up into a coherent whole. Mm -hmm. We believe that. We believe that, right? <laughs> so you have to move forward on the basis of that. I think that makes a difference for the world in the long run. Which leads us to the fifth thing, yeah. which we've already touched on, yeah. which is set a new tone for public discourse. Yeah, I think... What a novel idea. Right, totally. <laughs> you know, Now you're asking for a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. It might be unsuccessful. You know, you never know. There's not a guarantee that we're going to change the world. But if there's any hope for changing the world, then we have to recapture who we are. And uh, the, the tribalism, we've talked about it on this podcast before, but tribalism is rampant. And it comes in part from a really bent way of looking at the world, which is that the world is a great contest between good and evil, right and wrong, us versus them. And you have to pick a side. And you have to pick a side, and you better be on the right side. So that creates a sense of urgency that I think is not good for our souls. Um, in an article that I wrote, I quoted an article at The Atlantic, Katie Martin, who was quoting George Washington, his farewell address. We've got three-level quoting going on a super meta. But George Washington said, said this, which I love. He said, the, alternative, the alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge, natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. Mm -hmm. Talk about a description of the 21st century, like political life in North America. The, I have the, to win. The frightful despotism of I have to win, mm -hmm. where life is a zero-sum game. I, I think that that is so destructive mm -hmm. to our commonwealth, and I think the church can lead the way on this. Well, we I read an article recently about the difference between anger and hate. Anger uh, means that I see something wrong in your life and I want it to be fixed. Yeah. But hatred says I see something different in your life and you need to be destroyed. Yeah. Yes. And so the difference between mm. anger and hatred. And so we have it's we big. have jumped mm. over anger. It's no longer just anger. Mm. It's become hatred where if you are different, if you're broken, if you believe differently than me, I don't want you to be fixed necessarily. I want yeah. you to be destroyed. Yeah. I want yeah. you to be annihilated. I want your viewpoint to be annihilated. Yeah. I want you to be done away with. It is it is the spirit of the age right now. Yeah. And it's become it's crept into the church. It's not just crept into the church. It has overwhelmed the church yes. in some cases. Overwhelmed yes. pulpits in some cases. Mm -hmm. And we all of us as pastors, all four of us in this room today, teach and preach on a regular basis. And the enormous pressure we feel as pastors to represent one yes. side over the other. Yeah. Is is a is is a real thing. It's yes. not imagined. It's an intense pressure to yes. get get into my tribal beliefs and agree with me. Yeah. Or you will pay a price for not agreeing with me. Yeah, and that kind of absolutism about our tribe is so wrong. There is no tribe that can ever capture the full truth. There's no persuasion that can ever capture the full truth. I, and this is where being aware of what the ancients have said is so helpful. Augustine in the City of God, one of the things that he insisted on was that the coming city of God, the Civitas Dei, that was itself the judgment on all moral and cultural and political and civil and even religious order, that nobody had cornered the market. Mm -hmm. 
on rightness. So all of us in some way stand stand under the judgment of God. Well, the world will never have that awareness unless the church embodies that awareness in some way. So I just think it's, I think it's a huge export of ours to the world. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. And so if you found this or any episode helpful to you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you.